going to be starting a sermon series. It's only going to be uh, three sermons this week. Um, next week is going to be a shorter one. I think this week I've got two points that I'm going to make. Next week I'm just going to make one point, and I believe the week after that it's three or four. But um, So the introduction here is going to be a little bit longer than normal because I, I want us to get a feel for this concept and, and this issue that we're, I hope we're really going to sink our teeth in. I believe it is absolutely relevant for us as a people of God as we are struggling to grow in this relationship with Christ. There were two guys who were going to Yellowstone National Park, and they were camping. And man, I remember the days. My wife doesn't like camping a whole lot, but I grew up with camping. And we went to Yellowstone. I think we touched 27 states in 1967. I was six years old in our red fire engine red station wagon. And we went to Yellowstone and, and the Redwood Forest in California, and, and you name it. We, we went everywhere, it seemed. Loved it. And these two guys, they're camping in the Yellowstone National Park, and they heard about the stories of bears. And during the night, they're waked up to some rustling and can banging outside uh, under their canopy where they have their food. And they look through the window, and there's this huge brown bear. And, and they're terrified, and the bear turns around, and their eyes meet. And one of the guys immediately reaches down and he starts putting on his sneakers. And the guy looks at him and he said, what are you wasting time putting your sneakers on? You're never going to outrun this bear. And the guy looked up at him and said, yeah, I may not be able to outrun this bear, but all I need to do is outrun you. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, many of us, much of life, for much of life, it's, it's a competition for us. We want to outrun one another. We want to be better than the next. We want to be more talented and smarter and richer and win the NBA finals and you name it, which, which tends, however, to lend to comparisons, doesn't it? When we're in competition, we compare with one another. You know, the most difficult comparison, you know, comparing with the people of this world have to what, uh, well, I guess what we don't have. The problem is that this kind of comparison, comparing ourselves to one another, it lends to envy, doesn't it? Yeah, when we look over and we see that this person has just bought a new car and we can struggle, it's like, wow, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to follow you. And this, this guy, he's a renowned atheist and he mocks you. And look what you just did. You just blessed him with a nice Mercedes SLK. How did, why did you do this? And, and there's this struggle that we can have. And sometimes when we look around, even at the church, we compare one another and we envy one another. Have you, have you ever seen the bumper stickers, uh, like the fish? And then the next series of bumper stickers that came out was the fish with feet and the word Darwin inside. And then the next series of bumper stickers that came out was this big fish with the word truth in it, swallowing the Darwin fish. Yes. Okay, or maybe you're familiar with the uh, the one where it says, "My son was employee of the of the month at I don't know McDonald's," and then the next series of bumper stickers it reads something like this: "My son was inmate of the month at Pelican Bay Penitentiary." <laughs> 
Or I'm sure you've all seen those that are, my kid is an honor roll student at what, a millennium middle school. And then along comes this long series of bumper stickers that reads something like this. My kid beat up your honor roll student. <laughs> or my kid prays for your kid who beats up honor roll students. <laughs> or my baby can beat up your honor roll student. Or a little more righteous, I love my kids, whether they're honor roll students or not. Or this low one, my dog is smarter than your honor roll student. I love this one, Ed. It was interesting. It says this, a little bit long. My kid may be able to beat up your honor roll student. Excuse me. Your kid may be able to beat up my honor roll student. But someday, mine will buy me a Mercedes while yours might sneak you some free fries if his boss isn't looking. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, I had to, had to think about that one. Oh, wow. Wow, really? But the problem is even as Christians, we're comparing ourselves, we're sizing things up. And what happens, though, when we feel we don't measure up? We do one of two things. We either envy them or... You know, we come up with these lame excuses for why they bested us. Like when we got beaten one-on-one -on -one in basketball, 20 to 2. Eh, he got a few lucky shots in. Yeah, or, or when we lose in a general election by a landslide and say, ah, it was because of his unfair mudslinging political tactics. And yeah, then we find out that even our wife and kids voted for him. Or usually, you know, we just envy them. And this is what I want to get at today. So I'm going to encourage you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. And this is really what the, David, as the psalmist here, he's struggling with. And he looks out over the world, and, and all of these people, they're immersed in the world. They're not following God, and he struggles with this. And I, and, and, and you, you can tell that he's struggling with it because he is, he's just so personal. And, and as I've read this psalm, and I've never seen some of the things in the psalm that we're going to look at, that it, it, this is personal for him. But he's had an opportunity, and he's worked through it, and now he's on the tail end of this. And he's looking back, and he's saying, let, let me just share with you in these few verses what I learned, and how are you going to deal with this? Because church, every single one of us in this room deals with this tendency to compare. And when we feel that we come up short, we envy them. How do we overcome this comparing of ourselves with others? And if, if we do come up short, how do we deal with this envying? Psalm 37, I'm only going to read verses 1 through 4 and then 10 through 11 today. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 10. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. That word peace there is the Hebrew word shalom. And so it connotes not just peace, but the sense of 
prosperity. Some of you, in, like in the NASB, if you have that version, it doesn't say peace, it says prosperity. This is, this is what God will do for the meek. They will inherit the land. And David has in mind his land, the land that was given to the Israelites. And we're going to need to look at that a little bit. I need to make a confession to you. There is this tendency on my part... As I am going online, I, I try you know, here and there to listen to other pastors and glean some things from them and learn. I believe that that's good and important for a pastor to expose himself to other preachers of the word. And I am impressed by those who, when they walk up on stage, they have no notes whatsoever. They have the entire sermon, it would seem, memorized. Now, I don't know if it's because the camera's shining on them and their entire notes are up on a, a back screen. Or I, don't, I don't know. I don't see that. But I'm going to guess that they have it memorized. And they have interesting styles and, and such. But they go up there. There's no notes. There's no chair. There's no podium. And, and I don't know. Maybe this isn't completely right. There's no Bible. Uh, but I, there's this tendency for me to kind of be wowed by that. How can you memorize that? Now, I would pull all-nighters in college because there were certain things that for tests I had to memorize, and I, it was just so hard for me to memorize that much, and so it, it's, it's as if I, I'll memorize it the night before, and then I'll just spew it out on the test the next day. But if I did that for over a week, it, it, it wouldn't stick. I would forget it the next day. So I, I was a crammer. That, that, that was my style when it came to certain types of tests where you just had to memorize so much. And I, I, I just, I can't memorize too well. So I, I'm kind of uh, enamored by these guys who can memorize their entire sermon. Um, it, it, it amazes me. But have you ever seen those really cool type of glasses that they have in some shows and there's this little computer geek in an FBI van and he's typing out the words and the guy puts on the glasses and the words show up on the glasses. That is so cool. So I decided to get me some really cool glasses, okay, and I thought they were cool anyway, and I'm going to start preaching with these. Um, so I'm going to start preaching with these glocks. Um, do we have autocorrect on the... Is that what we're... Okay, um, start preaching with these really cool glasses. So I, I just thought that, you know, I would start doing this, and that way I won't have to bring up my notes, and we'll get rid of the podium, and I'll just be able to preach like this. Um, but then again, I thought maybe that wouldn't be the best way. I really do like my podium. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm too attached to it, but I like it all up here. I like the Word of God in front of me. But I will have to admit, I think it's pretty cool when those guys stand up there and they've got it all memorized. Amazing. We struggle, don't we, with memorizing, or, or excuse me, with, with envying other people and just cool things about them or things that we long for that we don't have. We compare and we envy. You know, like that guy who rides up next to me. Uh, I'm driving my work van, and he drives up next to me in a Mercedes SLK. And I usually just roll my window down and rev my engine. Yeah, it sounds either like a two-cycle engine when I do that, or, or at worst, a, a motorized skateboard. But 
Maybe one day in heaven, huh? <laughs> I want us to look at verse 1 here. And it starts off this way. It says, do not fret because of evil men. Don't be envious of those who do wrong. Do you know what the word fret was? I don't know. Maybe I just missed this on my vocab tests. But I always thought that fret meant to worry or be afraid. And then I realized that that's actually a secondary meaning of this word. And so I decided I'm going to look up all of these different versions of this verse and find out what, they, what word they used to try and give me a better idea of what this Hebrew words used that's translated fret. And they all translate it fret. All, I was amazed. Come on, you got to find a different English word. But here's what I found as far as why they use that. <laughs> because the word fret, the, the first definition means to be agitated. To, to be frustrated, even angered. The Hebrew word means to burn or glow. And, and many times it's translated angered, but not like really angry. And so I'm going to choose this word frustrated. Don't get frustrated. Don't let it bother you when the wicked in this world prosper. <laughs> and I had to pause and say, wow, does that not happen to me sometimes? Don't, don't I feel that frustration? God, why are you prospering and blessing them? And what about me? Kind of turn your gaze this way. And, and when you're spreading out your blessings, let it overflow to me maybe a little bit more. But we can compare ourselves and we can start envying them. We can tend to, you know, how about the, the ones they seem to attract the girls and the get now I'm older now that that certainly is not a struggle for me but you know when we're young and and some of these guys it's like they have a way with girls some of these girls they have a way with guys just flock around them and then you realize that their methods well I'm not sure but they flirt they dress immodestly you know some of them own this Mercedes SLK their wealth their toys their, their looks and then you realize maybe I really don't want that. But there's something inside of you. What kind, how do they generate this charisma? Why do they tend to attract people? How is it that they're so popular? Or how about those who are popular and, and they just seem to be cool and everything they say, people laugh at them, and, but their joking is like the world, very compromising. Or how about the one that's very outgoing? And this used to be my struggle. I would be, I'd be so amazed by people who are so outgoing. And I'm this kind of person, before I say something, I have to, give me a second before I answer that question. I think about it, and I, I'm pensive. I'm a very pensive person. Many times during my quiet time, my kids will see me because I, I sit in, in a recliner, and I'm just staring up. I'm thinking about the word, and they're probably thinking, Dad, what are you daydreaming about? I don't know. I've never asked my kids, but I can only imagine, and I'm just a pensive person, and uh, my personality is an, an, intro, as an introvert, and my wife amazes me and how when she goes to a party, she's like little Energizer Bunny, and she talks to 100 people, and I'm kind of off talking to this one person, and at the end of the evening, it's like, wow, man, I'm ready for, I'm, I'm killed. This, that was exhausting. And Mary said, let's talk some more. It's like, wow. And, and, but 
So we can be amazed and, and even envy people who are outgoing or people who have some incredible physique and you're wondering, why didn't I get blessed with this? Or wealth and possessions and a new home and a new car or even the kids. And, and we can even envy their marriages and wonder, wow, why can't I have a marriage like that? Why can't I have those kids who are just, they seem to be so obedient. And we can struggle. How is it that they have this stronger gifting and when we measure our gifting with theirs or our talents with theirs or our intelligence with theirs, we feel like we, we can feel so inadequate and we start comparing our accomplishments with theirs and we can feel like a failure. If we're already married, we can sometimes say, wow, I wish I was married to that person. Hmm. They say that marriage is the process of finding out what kind of person your spouse would have preferred. I thought that was interesting. Okay. We can compare our success stories with their success stories. And in, in the long and short of it is we can feel inadequate and we can feel as if God has somehow overlooked us and God, is this my lot for the rest of my life? And we can make these comparisons and we see all that they present and who they are and it's like, wow, why couldn't I have that? Why couldn't I be that way? There's a a story told of a professor and a surgeon and they were getting their cars worked on by their mechanic and the mechanic was pulling parts out and he was putting parts in and it seemed so complicated and the professor looks over at the surgeon as they've been kind of conversing during the time and the, the professor says, I sometimes think this type of work is as complicated complicated is the work we do. And the surgeon quickly responds, perhaps, but let's see him do it with the engine running. The surgeon. Uh, Honestly, our comparisons are unfair and they're unrealistic. You don't see their backside. You just see the kind of the white picket fence image, if you will. And we don't see the hurts and the struggles and all, the, all, all of the, the hurts inside and the negativity, but when they come outside, the smile on their face, the three-piece suit, the car, the new Mercedes in the driveway, and their kids make sure that they use the words sir and ma'am, and yet what goes on inside that home, you don't know about. And we have these unfair comparisons. I want us to look at this phrase And it's a phrase that is used eight times in this psalm. And it has to do with the land. Sometimes it's worded inherit the land or dwell in the land or simply inheritance. Eight times. I'm just going to quickly read those to you. We read one of them, actually two of them. In verse three, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Over there in verse 11, but the meek will what? Inherit the land. Going back to verse 9, it says, For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will, church, inherit the land. Verse 18, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance, their inheritance will endure forever. Verse 22, those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. 
Verse 27, turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And then in verse 34, wait for the Lord, keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, you will see it. And I had to step back as, as I'm observing this and, and realizing the repetition of this concept and ask the question, what is this land? What is it really getting at? And he, he, in, in one sense, it is this reward. But understand, he gives a command right there in verse 3. He says, dwell in the land. And I'm going to tell you this, church, you need to learn to dwell in your land. You see, our problem is our land of course, is everything that God has given to us, our looks, our physique, our intelligence, our ability to communicate or inability to communicate, the success stories that we have, the failures in our life, everything that God has allowed for us. They can be spiritual, they can be physical, they can be the inheritance that we have reserved as we have received as Christians, the new life that we have in Christ, the fact that we used to be dead, but now we're alive in Jesus, the fact that our sins are completely washed away, or they can be physical, they can be this intelligence, they can be the ability to problem solve. You know, I think it's amazing. Some strongly gifted leaders, they have this ability to problem solve, and, and they're able to see the forest for the trees, and then they can get up real close and see the trees in the forest, and they have this ability to see the problem and come up with an excellent solution. And some people are extremely gifted in this. And, and this, all of this is the land that God has allowed you to inherit. But our problem, church, is that we get discontent with our land. And so the charge that David gives to us is dwell in your land. Stop being discontent, if you will. Dwell in your land and enjoy everything that God has given you. Get your eyes off of the wicked who are prospering and stop envying them. And we're going to need to ask this question over the next three weeks. How do we do that? There's something that tugs in our heart. These desires that we have, we just went through a series on the parable of the, the four soils. And you remember the thorny ground? <laughs> And in the thorny ground, the, the thorns, the weeds started springing up. And Jesus tells us that those thorns, those weeds, are analogous to the deception of wealth and the pleasures of this world, the desires that tug at our heart and want to pull us in that direction and focus on entertainment and recreation and all the, even the sinful desires that are out there. And many people who are raised in the church, when they get older, they want to begin to explore and, and come out from mom and dad's authority and, and they want to go to a college campus far away to do their uh, innocent exploring and discover the world and in the process discover themselves. But what they really discover is that all of those desires, they're empty. The devil promises you everything and delivers nothing. And you've heard the saying, not everything that glitters is gold. And this land that God has given us, he's challenging us, challenging us. Be content. You know, when Rusty 
comes over to our house. He makes a beeline for one of two places in our living room. He immediately will go to the living room, one of two places. He'll either head to the corner, because in the corner is where all the toys are that we have for him, and there's a rocking chair in front of it, I guess, so that we don't see the toys all the time. But he'll go behind the rocking chair, and he'll pull, start pulling out some of the toys. Or he'll go to the entertainment center, and there's a little uh, box in which we keep some of his books. Now, we have like 50 to 70, maybe more, little golden books, like, just like this one right here little golden books. And we keep them in Jimmy's room, and every now and then um, we've read the little golden books that we have downstairs that he'll pull out and, and such. And uh, I'll say, let's go and get more books from Jimmy's room. We'll go upstairs, and he'll follow me, and we'll get down on the bookshelf, and we'll, we'll pull out some more books, and we kind of re replenish them, replace them. And there's one little book that he will pull out, and he will either go to Meredith or myself or maybe one of the kids, and, uh, or, or maybe he'll look around, and he notices that someone is missing in the room, and he says, where Jimmy? Or where Shine? Or where Aisha? And he's got this book, and he wants to say, I want you to read this book to me. Now, this is an interesting book. This is the one, and it's called The Cow Went Over the Mountain. The Cow Went Over the Mountain, okay? And I'm going I'm to read a little bit of this book to you, okay? I really, let, I really feel led by the Holy Spirit to do this, church. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. Of, so here's what I'm going to do. You just imagine you're in your grandpa's arms, and you're kind of kicked back in the recliner, and you're looking at the pictures, and you're pointing to these things so that he can't read it. You know, that's what, that's what Rusty loves to do. But anyway, you manage to read, your grandpa manages to read to you, and he says this. One day, little cow said to her mother, I'm going over to the other mountain. The grass is munchier over there. Very well, said Mother Cow. Now, I've got to pause, and I'm thinking, what, Mother Cow, you just let your baby cow go to another mountain because the grass is munchier? Are you serious? This is America. We don't do that. But I guess maybe in the cow world they do. So let me continue on anyway. He says, so away went little cow, and soon she met a little frog. Come along with me, little frog, she said. I'm going over to the other mountain. The bugs are much crunchier there. I'm hooked already. So little frog jumped on cow's back, and they walked along together. Soon they met a little duck. And the cow convinces, I'm, I'm filling in a little bit here. The cow convinces the duck that the water is much splashier there. So they come across a pig, and the cow, the cow convinces the pig that the mud is much sloshier over there. And they come across a bear, and they convince the bear that the honey is gooier over there. And so they all begin to walk and walk, and they finally get to the mountain, and they, they're so tired they take a nap. But when they wake up, they realize that the grass is not munchier, the bugs are not crunchier, the water was not splashier, the mud was not sloshier, and the honey, and this is what ticked me off, was not gooier. Yeah. But then little cow realizes something and looks across the, the valley and says, look, we're on the wrong mountain. And as she pointed, they all agreed that the other mountain was greener. So down they went, Crossed the valley, and up, up they climbed, and then they stopped, and do you know what they found? They were home on their own green mountain. So they all looked at cow and sang, and I'm not going to put a tune to this. You'll thank me later. The grass is munchier, 
the bugs are crunchier. The water is splashier, the mud is sloshier, the honey is gooier right here at home. And they laughed and laughed and laughed. And the kids love this story, but what a truth that this presents. You've heard it simply put, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, right? The land that you see your neighbor have isn't always better than yours, and it's not greener, and no, the bugs aren't crunchier, and the mud is not sloshier, and the honey's not gooier, and yeah, it's, it's none of that. It only looks that way on the outside, but on the inside of people's lives that just so impress you, that is not something that you would want many times. And God is saying to us, church, dwell in your land. Dwell in your land. Enjoy it. Now, can I just say here, that the point that I'm getting at is very different than the point that's made in Jabez's prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Do you remember what he prays there? It says that he was more honorable than his brothers. His mom gives birth to him, calls him Jabez, and the word Jabez actually means pain. Not pain in the neck, but just pain. I guess because of the pain that she bore. Maybe her, her husband died during this time. We don't know, but there's pain. And, and so she names him Jabez. I mean, I'm not so sure I want that name. It's pain. But uh, he's given that name, and this is his prayer. He says, God... Would you superabundantly bless me? And would you extend my territory? Now, when you look at Jabez, you realize that his name in that chronology falls next to the names such as Kenaz and Othniel. Now, if you've read through the book of Judges, you realize they were the first judges after they took the land and after Joshua. And so you, you realize that when Joshua sent them back to their own land and they divide each tribe, now divides up territory, that there are Canaanites and Perizzites and Hivites and such still dwelling in the land, though the majority of them have been conquered, they're kind of like a thorn in the flesh, if you will. But it's their job now to overcome these tribal peoples and oust them from their land because this is the land that God has given them to inherit. So when Jabez says, and he's praying, extend my territory, he is not falling into the trap of one in verse thirty in, in Psalm 37 that is eyeing his neighbor's land and says, wow, I want that one. I like the, uh, you know, kind of the overlook into the lake. Wow, I wish I had a lake, lakefront property, but you didn't give me one. And God, would you give me my neighbor's property? Would you extend my territory? He's not asking for that. He is recognizing in the time that he lived that Canaanites are dwelling on his land. This is my inheritance. This is what God has given to me and to my family. God, help me extend my territory to include all of it, that I would inherit everything that you give to me, and I would challenge you, church. I am not preaching that sermon here today. There is something that God has given you, and he is challenging you. Yes, extend your territory, and 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 Seek to embrace everything that I have given to you. But how do we deal with the problem 
when after we have done this and we have sought to extend our territory, that we come to the end of that land, that inheritance. How do we learn then to dwell in the land? So as I said, I'm going to be looking at two principles today. One next week, because I'm preaching for only 30 minutes. And then we're going to have a pass the mic time. And then several the next week. The first one that I want us to look at is found right there in the first few verses of this psalm. And the first point then is understand temporal things in light of eternity. Understand temporal things in light of eternity. He says right here that these people that we're envying, they're like grass, they will soon wither. They're like green plants, they'll soon die over there in verse 10. You know, give it some time, he says, but the wicked will be no more. You're going to search for them, you're not going to find them. The reason is because they're in the grave, and that is the end of their life. The end of the pleasures that they experienced, maybe 70, 80 years of pleasure. Get a right focus, <clears throat> excuse me, get a right focus then is the challenge that David is wanting us to have. Now, I want you guys to know, I truly pray that God will bless every single one of you with things like wealth and homes, good marriages children that you've longed for, enjoying your job, and even, yes, enjoying your boss, many other things. But here is my question. What if? What if you never experience wealth? However you might define wealth. What if you never experience marriage? Maybe you have a longing for leadership or a certain level of leadership. What if you never acquire that? What if God has just not put a large enough deposit of leadership abilities in your life? And the very thing that you're wanting and longing for, God is having to tell you, no. Wow. What if you never experience owning a new car? Maybe that's been a longing in your heart. I, I'm not sure it has been for me, but for many it is. Oh, a, a new car. What if you never? What if you never experienced traveling to other countries? And I know that that has been a desire on my wife's heart, not so much mine, but especially my, with my wife. And we've been, been able to experience some of that. And, and I'm grateful, but what if? What if you have this desire to see the Great Wall of China and the Leaning Tower of Pisa and the Eiffel Tower and the castles of Germany and, and, and many other things, but the money's never there and you never get to do that. And all you get to do is open Leisure Magazine and look at the pictures and envy. Are you, are you following me? And so here's what I'm going to, th th this is what David is trying to communicate with us. All of those things that they have and what they're about, they have absolutely missed the most important thing in life that you have. And that thing that you have is eternal. 
Let me give you an illustration here. If this section of the sanctuary, traveling around it 100 times would represent eternity. Now, eternity is something that we truly cannot wrap our minds around. Because that's infinity, isn't it? Anybody here ever count up to infinity? Have any of you tried? As a kid, I tried. I remember trying. I, I, I heard the stories. Yeah, it, it would take a certain amount of time to count up to a billion, I think it was. And I thought, no way. I can count up to a billion like that. And I just started counting. And I got so tired, I quit, yeah. Uh, but we can't even wrap our minds around infinity or eternity. But let's say that we can, and let's kind of put it in our own experience of the finite, and let's call eternity walking around this section of the sanctuary 100 times. My life, in view of traveling around this 100 times, is this much. It's about one foot, 12 inches. That is my life. That is my 60, 70, 80 plus years of life. That's my life in view of all eternity. That's about, I don't know, one two thousandth. I actually did the math on this. One, one two thousandth. I'm guessing, okay. One two thousandth. My life, 12 inches, one two thousandth of walking around this 100 times. And we're going to focus all of our energies and disappointments because of the stuff and the things and the personality and the successes and accomplishments that we don't have and Joe Schmo does. And in light of eternity, he spends forever separated from the love of Christ, which is in with love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we get to experience that promise. We will never be separated from that. All of eternity, church, we get to spend with God. And yet, we are consumed at times with those 12 inches called my life. Wondering, God, Will I always end up getting the short end of the stick in this life? And I think we get so wrapped up in that and caught up in the envying because we are so accustomed to living in the here and now, in this 12 inches called my life, that it's hard for us to think about eternity. And then we start talking about heaven. And the truth is, many of us have a really bad view of heaven we kind of we're kind of disappointed maybe for some of you as, as i'm going through this point you're kind of saying okay get on to the next point because this is boring to me okay eternity heaven and the reason why we don't want to think about this is because truly in our minds we think we think heaven is boring we think heaven is kind of somewhat mythological outside of my experience of life and reality and, and, and it's religious, and it's almost as if we separate religious truths from factual truths of reality. I mean, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? And heaven is, is kind of like a dream. It's not real. Nothing could be further from the truth. Heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, that will be more real, if you will, than this life here. It will be far more pleasurable. 
You're going to be wowed when you get there, church. You're going to look at the majesty of what God's new creation looks like, and you're going to step back and you're going to say, wow, you're going to see the bubbling brooks, and you're going to see the green meadows, and you're going to see the mountain peaks, I don't know, maybe capped with snow, and you're going to say, wow, looking around, wow. Diego, how do they say that in Spanish? How do they say wow in Spanish? You're... Wow, yeah, there we go. I can say it in French. Wow. I mean, you're going to be amazed. Heaven is going to be so exciting to us. We're going to be gripped by it. We're going to We're going to think how foolish we were to be so caught up in this comparison game, in this comparing game that, that, so what what my neighbor has? So what if I go through all of life and I never get that Mercedes SLK? That's totally, and by the way, I, I don't long for a Mercedes SLK. Don't go out and buy me one, please. <laughs> I, I know Donald's going to go out and I am, for my birthday, he's going to get me a Mercedes SLK matchbox. I know he's going to do that. That is not what I'm getting at right now. That'd be cool if they sold those, wouldn't it? But that, that is not my desire. It's truly not. Though I will have to, and I'm going to admit this to you, church. I do look forward when I get an opportunity to get rid of my rusty, <laughs> my, my rusty van, work van. I, I do look forward to that day. And I get to drive like a normal car like the rest of my family does. You can all say, oh, right now. Yeah, thank you. I f- I'm feeling better already. I appreciate that. The, the, the truth, though, is that we get so caught up in this. Wow, 70, maybe 80 plus years compared to eternity. What is that? But here, for some of us, here is the heartbreak in which because we live in this fallen world that is racked by sin and the curse, there is going to be much that we long for that we will not be able to experience. And I'm not saying necessarily that you shouldn't long for those because many of those things are good things. For some of us, because we just simply never learned the concept of faithfulness and finances, God has chosen to say, I know that you want this blessing and you see your neighbors with these nice cars and I wouldn't mind giving it to you, but if I do, it will shipwreck you because you don't know how to handle that. And so for, for you to extend your territory, God would need to build the proper character. But then what if? What if he does build that character and he still decides, you know what? That's just not what I need to give you. Can you trust him? Can you trust him that he is still good and he's doing what's right and what's helpful for you? We will have all of eternity, church. After 10,000 years on the, in the new heavens and the new earth, this, the, the life that we are experiencing, we're going to look back on earth 
And praise God, we will not be looking back with regrets because regret has to do with an attachment to the curse and the fall that we will be freed from. But if we could, would you be filled with regret? How are we spending this time? Are, are, are we, are we, what word am I looking for? Are, are we treating it frivolously? We're fritting it away. Is that the word I'm looking for? Is that what we're doing? Because we're so caught up with our eyes focused everywhere, but where God wants it to be focused. How are we living for him? So that comes to my second point. And we see it right there in verse four. And David tells us, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing, because when you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires that are on his heart, when you're delighting in him every day, moment by moment, those desires in his heart start becoming your desire. Then he gives you the desires of your heart. Because they are his desires. And so I'm going to look at three small points here. I'm going to go through them quickly. But I'm going to use a little illustration to help us out here. These are pictures from my wife's and my wedding. And I see we had, there is one or more of our honeymoon. And this one right here. If you look at this one right here in the corner, it is a picture of... My wife's dad, Jim, walking her down the aisle. Now, husbands who are married, do you remember the day that you got married? And they opened that back door, the double door, and they started playing the music. And your wife appears at the end of the aisle. Man, I know for me, there was a grin from ear to ear, that I grinned so hard my cheeks ached. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, my wife was beautiful, and she was wearing a gorgeous uh, wedding dress as, as Jim was escorting her down the aisle. And I began this journey of learning how to delight in my wife. And that was hard for me because the the... Sad thing is that I was a very selfish person, and to this day, I still wrestle with a lot of that junk. But I'm learning to delight in my wife. And I'm going to use that now as an illustration to give us three real quick things. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? How do you do that? I know for me, in discovering this concept of delighting in my wife, number one, I learned to focus on my wife and I fell in love with her more and more and more. And so that the, the, the things of this world, as I began to focus on her and studying her and learning more about her, she became more and more in sharp focus. And the things and the stuff of this world began to become fuzzier and fuzzier. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, and he comes more and more into clear focus for you, the things of the world, the backdrop of it all, of life itself, begins to become cloudy and less focused. Why? Because Jesus is in full view. Jesus is who 
you're focusing on. And these longings and yearnings, they're secondary, tertiary, or, or some of them that you recognize aren't even good at all, you throw them away. So how do you delight yourself in the Lord? Learn to focus on him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, where your treasure is, help me out church, there your heart will be also. That's right. So where is your treasure? What are you valuing? And if you're focusing on God and you are falling more and more in love with him, then he becomes the desire of your, he is your treasure. And as a result, that's where your heart is. And it's not falling prey in the thorny soil to the desires of the pleasures of this world or the deceptions of wealth. And those become fuzzier and fuzzier as God becomes more and more in focus. You know, it's interesting, the more I treasured my wife focusing on her, I actually started becoming a little bit more like her, even acquiring some of her, her tastes. She's spontaneous. Truly, that was repugnant to me. It was. It was. I'll admit it. I was calculated. I hesitated, I, I looked before I leaped, and many times my wife leaped before she looked, and I just thought, you know, that's just not the way to live life. Come on. You have to examine your steps at least a couple days you know, and, 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 and truly become preoccupied with this next step, and she would say, oh, cool, and she would jump, and she would be spontaneous, and that really pulled me out of my comfort zone, and I began to realize, wow. This spontaneity, I, I kind of like it. And I had this secret, I want to be a little bit more spontaneous. So I would surprise my wife every now and then, like once in a blue moon, yeah. And, and I would be spontaneous. And I would say, hey, sweetheart, what about Friday night? We just go to the beach and walk in the sand. That's probably happened once, though. But yeah, we did that, and, and, and she liked it, and she, it was spontaneous. Or I said, hey, for, was it our anniversary? Let's, that evening, let's go to the beach. And, oh, okay, I, I did plan this a little bit more than, because there was a song I had written to her when we were in college, and I had to dig that up. So that part was planned. But hey, let's just go to the beach. Let's walk the, the sands. And then I pulled out my guitar, and I, I, I sang this song to her. And thank you, I appreciate that. And I, so I became more spontaneous the more I focused my attention on her because that's where my treasure was, then that's where my heart was. I began to value relationships more. When I went to parties, I began talking to more than one person. Wow, like two or three. And so, and my wife would still have been able to talk with every single person. And so the drive home, if it was like a 30-minute drive home, she would be able to take up those 30 minutes and talk about every single conversation that she had that evening. And I would take about 10 seconds and say, here's the one I had. And, but I began to realize that I really did like people. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a good thing if God's called you to be a pastor, I found. Um, I, be, I really liked people, and I began to talk with more than one person at a party. And I, became, I, I would watch my wife engaging in conversations, and I would try and do that too. Valuing relationships. Uh, seeing the forest and not just the trees right there in front of me. It's taking a step back. And I realized uh, as John Maxwell challenges 
If you want to be a good leader, you have to have this ability to see the forest and then see the trees and then see the forest and then see the trees and then see the, you get the point. You've got to be able to do this. If you're just seeing the trees, you're going to not see the forest. And if you're just seeing the forest and you're just a big picture person, all the details will fall through the cracks. But you have to constantly go back and forth. That's what a good leader does. And so I tried to see how my wife incorporated the big picture. And I said, I want to become more like that. And yes, believe it or not, and this may come as a shock to some of you, I actually began enjoying romantic comedies. Like You've Got Mail. That's one of my, that's one of my wife's favorite movies, either that or Snowball Express. But she loves romantic comedies. So if we're to go out to a movie, uh, I realize we're not going to go to an action flick. That's uh-uh, we're not going to do that. And we have some common ground here, so if we can find a romantic comedy, okay. But the truth is, we usually end up watching it, <laughs> watching, waiting for it to come out on DVD anyway. But I've, I've learned to enjoy romantic comedy. See, this is what happens when you begin to focus on this person. And when you, see, so for this one, I want you to imagine that bride coming down the aisle, and you're just, you've just got this huge grin on your face. Learn to delight in the Lord like that. And the second thing I want us to see is that we are, t I, I realized that I needed to seek her interests first. Can I ask you this? What is your quest in life? If you were to say, here's my number one quest, here's my number two, here are goals in my life, where would you place your spouse? If you're married, where would you place your spouse? I learned this early on, happy wife, happy life. I realized that my goal, and, and it's not just a saying or even a somewhat humorous saying, very true, by the way, but I began to realize that I, I, I wanted my wife to be happy. And not just for me, that, that's kind of like a, a selfish uh, return, but I, I really wanted my wife happy. And one of the greatest frustrations that I had was if she wasn't happy and I couldn't fix it. And it's because I really wanted that for my wife. And I began to realize there, there is something inside of me as a man, as a husband, that longs for my wife to be happy. And I, I, I lived for that. And I'm not saying that she was first place in my life. Actually, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's just that we many times, even in the church, get that backwards. We seek first the things of this world, and God comes second. We compare ourselves with others, come up on the short end of the stick and envy them, and then, oh yes, let's make sure we go to church. And God is saying that, let's get this right, because if you seek him first, all of these things that he truly does want to give us, and there will be some he, he won't, and we can learn to live with that. But he does want us to experience more of these blessings. He wants us to dwell in our land. He does want us to extend our territory. But he doesn't want us to envy our neighbor's land. He doesn't want us to become discontent with our land. Seek first the kingdom. This becomes then our life ambition, not acquiring the stuff of this world, which we can never take with us to heaven. You, you, you've 
You may remember this little commercial, I think I've mentioned it before, where they're at a gravesite funeral. The pastor is reading from scripture, and you see a guy who's coming in late, and he walks up and he stands next to this gentleman and pauses for a moment, and he leans over and he says, so how much do you think he left? And the guy leans over and he says simply, everything. You're not going to be able to take any of it with you. You're going to leave it all behind. Why, why spend so much energy in life to acquire these things that you're never going to be able to take with you? You see, as we seek first the kingdom of God and as we long to please Him, then we become content with those things that are on His heart. And then lastly, I had to choose to believe the best for Meredith. I had to say, you know what? Maybe her intentions in all of this really were good. Maybe my perspective on this situation I shouldn't jump the gun. Maybe I need to take a step back. Maybe my wife's perspective, maybe it's actually right. And, and so I began to try really hard to see things from my wife's perspective. But the problem is she's this extrovert and she's so different than me. And, and, and sometimes I, I kind of thought we are so different. When God put us together, he laughed. And he said, good luck with this one. But I had to realize, wow, she is so different than me. And I would long for her to be more like me. And God at a point in my marriage said, Mike, learn to celebrate how different she is from you. And I had learned to celebrate some of the differences, just not all of them. And I began to realize, wow, this is really awesome to have a wife that is so different than me. And if I couldn't see things from her perspective, I would try harder to see things from her perspective. And I'm not saying that she was always right. I was listening to a guy who was in um, preaching a sermon, and he mentioned, you know what? Every time my wife and I would have a discussion, we got into an argument, I always won. Always won. And then they invented Google. And she would be able to Google the, 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 you know, this issue and now I haven't, had, I haven't won an argument for 11 years. <laughs> I just thought, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. I'm not sure the perspective on that's completely accurate, but I get it. The, the point I'm making here is that we must truly believe that God is good and that his, he has our best interests at heart, that he's looking out for us, that he's working all things together for a good, that he knows exactly what we need and what we don't need. And all that he has given me truly is good, wise, and purposeful. And I want to ask you, church, do you really believe this about God? Do you really believe the best about him and that his intentions for you and plans for you are truly perfectly good? Because if you do, you're going to be able to step back and you're going to be able to see what others have and you don't. And you're going to say, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I will delight in the land that God has given me. And I can remember 
years ago when I broke the cartilage in my knee and God just yanked sports out of my life. That was my life. And he said, nope, not anymore. And I remember the disappointment and the frustration and the struggle of this and learning because I had just given my heart to Christ. What does it mean to truly delight yourself in the Lord? And that was hard. And it has been an adventure ever since. And I began to realize that there were reasons why God extracted that from my life, the sports. Number one, there was selfish ambition, and God needed to extract that from my life. And then I realized I began, I needed to begin to acquire different goals. God's goals for my life. Not just my dreams. Not, you know, God, here are the dreams that are in my heart. Would you bless them? Would you climb aboard my plan, God, and bless it? And God began to say, you know what, Mike? Would you allow me this? But I've got a plan for you. Can you see it from my perspective? And now I am inviting you into my plans for you. And when I began to realize that I needed to lay those down, that's when I stopped comparing myself, stopped envying, stopped delighting in the land, started delighting in the land that God had given me. And so here is the question I put before you, church, are you truly delighting yourself in the Lord? Can you stand with me? Father, I ask you, God, would you just strip away the, wow, the struggles, the, 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 the luring of the things of this world that we can get so easily caught up in just by picking up the Sunday morning newspaper or windows shopping online or any number of things in our hearts get drawn away and we're longing for the things that others have that we don't. And I'm just asking you, Lord, give us perspective here. Your perspective. Take your desires and, and plant them in my heart, God. And that the, the, the struggle, the, the tumult that exists there would be quieted down. And that you would pull out the thorny weeds in my life. And you would take your desires and your goals all the good things that are on your heart and would you plant them right here in my heart I want to want what you want I want to learn to delight myself in you God and delight myself in eternity may we fall in love with you Jesus so that you're our everything Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. And again, on behalf of the Jeffords, thank you for all the help that you have given them.
and we'll look forward to seeing you this Wednesday. God bless.